From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 50 years ago today, Apollo 11 launched from Cape Kennedy. A few days later, on July 20th of 1969, the first two humans landed on the moon. Commander Neil Armstrong and lunar module pilot Buzz Aldrin. Also at the launch was a film crew documenting everything, from its preparation to mission control to the faces of the crowds witnessing the blast-off. These, mixed with astounding footage taken by Armstrong and Aldrin, came together in a documentary film called Moonwalk One. Released in 1971, Moonwalk One crashed at the box office, but is now considered a cult film that captures what it took to put humans on the moon and is really a time capsule of life on Earth at this groundbreaking moment. GBB will air the documentary this Friday, July 19th at 9 p.m. David Risha is with us to talk about this cinematic moonwalk. He's Assistant Professor of Film Studies at Emory University's Oxford College with a focus on documentary film and aesthetics. Hi, David. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for being here. There were a few other space documentaries coming out around this time, but this film was commissioned by NASA to tell, I guess, the full story of the project. Original plan being a big theatrical release, but it didn't quite work out. Do you know the story there? Yes. So uh, in the mid-1960s, NASA teamed up with MGM to make a theatrical film about the entirety of the Apollo program. Um, And then pretty late in the process, MGM actually pulled out, uh, as did the uh, attached director. So NASA scrambled to put together uh, a crew and also a movie, and they did. Uh, So it's Moonwalk One. And, um, and yeah, it, it was released. It went to the um, Ken Film Festival and won an award there, but, but as you mentioned, didn't really make much noise otherwise. Do you think people are just done with space? Yeah, I mean, throughout the entirety of the 60s, people had been, uh, there had been lots of space on television and movies. You know, on TV, there was Star Trek and Lost in Space, uh, among many other TV programs. In uh, in the movies, there was 2001, and Barbarella, and Marooned, and I mean, just a ton of space stuff. And add that to the fact that, you know, most Americans actually watched it on television. So Something you know, like three quarters of it? Yeah, amazing. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, and, you know, hundreds of millions across the world watched this. So it's an interesting filmmaking problem. How do you make an engaging movie about something that people are incredibly familiar with? And we I think we that, already know the ending. Yes, we do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the final director, Theo Kamek, was brought on just six weeks before the launch. Yes. How did he pull it off? I have absolutely no idea. Wow. Uh, you know, in watching the movie, there's some really fantastic parts, but the film seems a little bit uneven. Yeah. And I think that that might be a product of its uh, rushed production. So you think that with a film like this, getting to the moon is the climax, but that actually happens pretty early in the film. So that's an interesting structure. Yeah, and I think that that somehow speaks to the fact that people already knew kind of the ending. The structure of the mission is the narrative spine. So the launch, the landing, and then the return. But the for me, one of the most interesting parts is the film's excursions. It looked at 
how the world was responding to uh, to the moon landing. It also one of my favorite sequences is um, it looks at the older women who uh, who actually sewed the gloves for the space. Um, for the spacesuits, and they talk about you know how they really hope that their particular gloves are the ones that are going to make it to the moon. So I think that they were looking for ways to really broaden the scope of of the documentary. Yeah, let's hear about, from one of these women who are assembling the space gloves, speaking about the pressure behind the work. Well, when they're up there in space, you know what parts you've worked on, and you just say, well, I hope that part don't fail because I feel it was my fault if it did. It really is something. It's it's so folksy. I mean, you, they're not all you know technicians in a lab, which is a little shocking. Yeah, I think it, it provides some heart to a documentary that I think could have possibly been really kind of technical and cold, just following you know the looking at the science and following the mission itself. Well, humans couldn't have gone to the moon without the efforts of all these people, um, and they didn't know what to expect or what could go wrong. What other kind of behind the scenes stuff do we see? Another part that I like is it's not necessarily behind the scenes, but it's uh, the moments where we where they're actually landing on the moon and we go to different places on Earth and just to kind of see people's reactions um, in different countries as they're they're watching and trying to understand what's happening on screen. And it's the sense of, you know, it's not just an American mission, but it's this kind of global community be re- being really excited about about this moment. Where else do they go? Uh, they, you know, they don't think they identify it in the movie, but they go places in Europe and they go places in Asia. Um, yeah, and there's some, pla- there's some sh- uh, shots in Africa as so well. So they have to have film crews in all those places. Yeah, I think that was one of the strategies is to do it quickly, just to spread out a bunch of filmmakers all over and... Um, and capture those moments. So besides showing that picture cinematically, I mean, this is what you look at, you know, what kind of techniques or aesthetic or style make Moonwalk one? It's it's very much a kitchen sink style. Uh, it's it's everything from they used a lot of archival footage, of course, the NASA footage. There's interviews. There's voiceover. There's uh, music. There's stage reenactments. It's really anything goes in this, and I think that that is one of the elements that gives it its kind of uh, frenetic, sometimes pretty trippy uh, feel to it. Trippy, is yeah. one of the words that I think really applies. David Risha is my guest. He's assistant professor of film studies at Emory University's Oxford College. And we're talking about the 1971 film Moonwalk One, not really well known, but kind of a cult film now, which documented Apollo 11's trip to the moon. And it's going to air on GPB TV on Friday at nine. This is also the late 60s and early 70s. And it's looking at America at the time, portrayed with a variety of elements like shifts in tone and sound like you're talking of. Apollo 11, 15 July 1969, Cape Kennedy, Florida. The night before the great day. We're going to the moon together. Pack your bags and jump into the car. Gonna take a trip to tell you where you are. (laughs) This is also one of my favorite sequences in the movie. This is a kind of, you know, you're seeing scenes of crowds camping out, the night, the, the nightlife, the hoi polite. There's a very funny little bit of, like, Johnny Carson walking around just looking awkward. <laughs> so it's not just looking at the sky, but it's looking at our culture at the time. Which parts, and or why does that matter? What did you see? You know, I think that one of the, first of all, I think it, it kind of makes it a little bit more 
kind of connected to society. Uh, it seems kind of more relevant, the movie, the fact that it has an understanding of what's going on at the time. But I think in, in watching the movie, it gives a, a stronger sense of disconnect once they actually leave Earth. It's so silent and still. And I think that the filmmakers want to give that sense of like when they actually go into space, you get a sense that you're kind of floating up there with them. Yeah. So I think giving a sense of kind of a loud, frenetic, you know, Earth uh, it's like escaping that. the city and moving to the suburbs. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, that sequence has lots of, it's like people cooking French fries and like, you know, fast food signs and stuff. And I think that that, it's, it's hilarious because the song is really fantastic, but uh, it also gives a sense of, of, of difference once we leave the earth and, get, and go to the moon. Well, and that's another thing for me, realizing that this was the first time people saw that. I mean, you know, that shot of the moon, the big blue marble in space is so familiar to us now, but it was unknown at that time. Yeah, exactly right. Which is crazy. So there are um, more trippiness, I think, from the narrator Lawrence Luckinbill. Um, First of all, Lawrence Luckinbill, I think he later surfaced on Star Trek. Is that? I can't remember. Let's hear a little bit from the narrator. Within this tiny spacecraft, a temporary Earth environment, warmth, air, food, water, everything necessary to sustain life. Beyond these fragile walls, nothingness, absolute cold, an end to life. Kind of pumping up the drama there, certainly. But there are these beautiful scenes of Stonehenge at dawn and dusk. You know, likely symbolism of, you know, human achievement, maybe. But Moonwalk One was commissioned by NASA, and the in the film being... Informative is also pretty artsy and kind of esoteric. Was that surprising to you? It was, yeah. This kind of real poetic tone to the narration that fits really well with the the cinematography is really beautiful, especially of the takeoff, but also the when they're out in space, it's really fantastic. So it kind of catches that the two work together, these really beautiful images and this more t- poetic tone. The the Stonehenge sequence that you mentioned is also pretty interesting. It, the film starts off and ends with this kind of this kind of poetic examination of humanity and the goals of humanity that they then connect to the to the mission to the moon. A lot of viewer, reviewers at the time saw the connection between that and the beginning of 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, the ape and bone sequence. Right, the um, Stanley Kubrick film. Exactly. Um, and and that, seems, that seems right to me, too. But I think, it was, again, it was an attempt for the film to not just be about something that's super familiar to everybody, is to kind of branch out and to examine different elements of the um, of the mission. What year did 2001 A Space Odyssey come out? 1968. So just before that. Exactly. Well, as you mentioned, America had pretty much been saturated on space by the time this film came out, so it didn't blast off in the box office. And this is something that happens, a cycle that happens in American cinema. Can you explain that? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, one, one useful way of understanding uh, trends in media is this model of innovation, imitation, and saturation, where you have, you know, an artwork that innovates something. It could be aesthetically, or it could be, there could be a technological innovation. And if, and if it's successful, especially if it's commercially successful, there's going to be imitators, right, that are going to want to capitalize on that. But eventually that imitation comes to an end because the, you know, the marketplace becomes saturated, it becomes old, it becomes tired. And I think that that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, in the the late 60s, early 70s, people might have 
gotten a little tired of the of the space stories, but now we see a resurgence. So, you know, just in in terms of movies, there's been movies like Gravity and First Man and Arrival, um, all of these movies that are about space exploration. So, I think we're seeing a resurgence of of interest in telling space stories. And I think part of the reason is that we've, over the last 30 years, there have been leaps and bounds in terms of CGI technology. And now we have really fantastic new ways to visualize space and to explore space. And if you take a look at a film like Gravity, it's just so visually fascinating. So I think that that might be part of this re-examination of of space travel in in movies. I'm I'm thinking of those early like Buck Rogers where... So you can almost see the hand guiding the the spaceship. The, tra- the string on top of the yeah, the flying saucer. We've come a long way. But the movie still is not very well known. So what, what do you think kind of legacy-wise Moonwalk 1 has? Um, I think that it will be more of a cultural document. I think just to kind of take a look at how broadly the world was responding to the moon landing rather than an actual document. I know that Theo Kamek also directed a part of his camera crew, don't look at the launch, look at the face of the spectators. And that is an amazing thing in itself, you know, seeing that reaction on people's faces. Yeah, to and when you're when I'm watching it now, to live vicariously through that moment where there's so much you know, excitement, but also going into the unknown. You really get that sense of excitement from from those reaction shots. Yeah, made it a little fresh to me, which is really nice. For sure. Especially during this moon week. (laughs) (laughs) David Risha, thank you so much for talking with us about this. It's a pleasure. David Risha is Assistant Professor of Film Studies at Emory University's Oxford College with a focus on documentary film history and aesthetics. And we've been talking about the 1971 film Moonwalk One, which documented the -the behind-the-scenes work of Apollo 11. GPB is going to be airing the documentary this Friday, July 19th at 9 p.m. And we're going to leave you with another clip from Moonwalk One. But stay with us. After the break, we'll speak with Tiffany Davis. She's an aerospace engineer, rocket scientist, and Georgia Tech grad. That's when On Second Thought returns. No up or down, no day or night. Only the slow creeping of the harsh sunlight through the windows as the spacecraft rotates to keep from getting too hot on one side, too cold on the other. 